welcome to the Perfect Gentleman podcast. Uh, this is episode 59. I am Zach Falconer Barfield, and alongside me is the uh, glorious, the charming, the dapper Mr. James Marwood. How are you, sir? I'm very well, my friend. Have you had a good summer? I've had a reasonable summer. Okay. As reasonable as the English summer weather. That seems fair. It has been a little up and down. In the main, it's not been too bad. A little less hot than I would have liked. I didn't spend enough time in the garden or uh, outside enough. Yes, not not as good as some as I would have liked, but it was not too bad. Reasonable summer. And how was yours, sir? Very good, actually. I had some uh, nice weekends away. I uh, got into the garden a little bit. I got to do some things and um, a fair bit of time in the gym. So it's been it's been fine. Yes, we'll, we'll talk about your gymming and your new challenge later. <laughs> yes, indeed. Yes, <laughs> my midlife crisis. Yes. <laughs> yes, yeah. Most men, when they get a midlife crisis, get a Ferrari and a younger girlfriend. I remember I got an MBA and a job. <laughs> yes, I did the sports car and the uh, and sort of the glamorous girl from us in my thirties. So I'll. Um... I thought I'd do something different for my 40s. Exactly, yeah. Got to change it up for the decades. <laughs> yes, indeed. <laughs> What's on the agenda for our first Perfect Gentleman podcast back in the saddle, as it were? There's a few bits and pieces. You were telling me a little bit of some slightly sad news, I think. We'll probably get that out of the way and, and start with. About David Tang. Yes, uh, sadly, uh, Sir David Tang died at the age of 63. He was a, a gentleman, actually. He was a well-known, renowned Hong Kong businessman. He was an entrepreneur, socialite, and a columnist. And he uh, also wrote a uh, little book on being a gentleman. So we acknowledge him for that great thing. He formed a company called Shanghai Tang, which is a sort of fashion, embryonic, that sort of thing. But he was also a very high-profile Hong Kong businessman, China Club, and did loads of very interesting different things. He was always a socialite, so he had everyone around him. He married an English wife. Uh, a lovely lady called Lucy Weston, and he was sort of very British. In, you know, he was very Chinese, but he was also very British. He, you know, he dressed very well. He was very mannered. He was was polite. And one of my great stories, I think I, I read somewhere about him, was saying that his phone ring was a voice of a butler saying, "Someone is trying to get hold of you on the telephone." <laughs> oh, that's fantastic. <laughs> Yes, I like that. Perfect, isn't it? He sadly passed away far too soon. He was a great, prolific uh, philanthropist. He was a passionate art collector. You know, an all-round gentleman. He wrote, as I say, this very interesting book on being a gentleman. Not everything I totally agree with. Most of it, sort of 90%, I would agree with what he wrote about being a gentleman. And I think he was a, a truly good man. And uh, sad to see him go. Uh, we've had lost quite a few good gentlemen this year. And uh, yes. another one added to the list. And also, he was a good cigar smoker. I remember actually reading an article he wrote. And I don't even recall his answer now but about whether you should leave the band on or take it off on your cigar and I don't think he ever actually got to the point on it it was more just about our cigars wonderful here's some amusing anecdotes yes he's raconteur as well yes I did see one thing when I was doing a little bit of, of research which was a quote from from Stephen Fry on reading his essays the book Connoisseur's Survival Guide Rules for Modern Life and he said reading these essays in style manners gossip grace and good sense is like sharing a private railway carriage with a mad but marvellous Maharaja <laughs> that's, that's perfect if I could leave the world and have someone say that about me I would be very pleased exactly I totally agree with that I don't know about the Maharaja bit, but it's certainly you know, an eccentric British gentleman yes yes <laughs> We tip our hat and uh, rest in peace, Sir David Tang. Uh, you're a gentleman, sir. 
we you know, we nod to you. Indeed. There was something else we were talking about earlier, and there's been a, f- a few articles on over the summer, uh, which sort of co- probably coincides with tourist season in London, and that's underground etiquette. Yes, I've read a few articles about this. Let's start with my rant. Please. I mean, I am a frequent traveller on, on London's underground, and I've travelled on undergrounds across the world. And one thing that drives me absolutely spare is people who get on the train or the tube with their backpacks on and have no spatial awareness whatsoever Mm -hmm. and start to bash people with their backpacks when turning around and not realising that they're doing it. And then you tell them and they go, oh, I'm sorry, and then bash someone else. When you're about to get on the train, take the thing off. It's just good manners. And I don't know why people forget that they're wearing it. And then they kind of squish you into a corner. People glare at you if you tell them. Just have some common sense and some manners. I see it so often. The thing that really grinds my gears, I don't travel by tube quite so much now, but I travel by rail quite often. And people who leave their bags on seats. (laughs) And people who generally won't challenge them. So I always do. I make a point of it. Don't have to do it rudely. Excuse me, would you mind if I sat there? Could you move your bag? And you'll get a bit of harumphing and a bit of eye rolling, but a polite, oh, thank you very much. And then sit down and smile happily. I understand people are busy. People can be can be a little bit thoughtless. But it just takes you know, a couple of seconds to look around and see what's happening. If I'm taking up two seats, do I need to be? There was a photo, I think it was in the Evening Standard uh, last week, actually, about two, obviously, people who are travelling and put their backpacks on the priority seat, you know, the seat for the disabled and the pregnant and the, yeah. the, the older people. And they didn't move them. And it's an absolutely packed train. And this article talks about it didn't move them and everyone glared at them in the true British way. I think that's the other problem where we have the British don't say anything anymore. You'll glare and yeah. see in disapproval and might tut in very Britishness but uh, no one ever says anything anymore you know people are a bit too timid hmm, I think they are too timid if it was a packed train I'd certainly say something I can count the times on one hand in the last two years I've actually sat on a tube just because I won't do it now because I kind of think oh, there's other people who deserve to sit on the tube I mean, I'm fit and I'm young and I'm capable youngish capable to stand up but I don't need a seat same here and I always dislike that sort of I'm stand up and someone's oh no please sit down and that little bit but actually no it's you're older you're pregnant you're tired you look like you've had a really rubbish day if i offer you my seat that's a little bit embarrassing for you if i just don't take one in the first place it solves that problem exactly our rant today is if you see someone doing something mention it but if you are a person who with a backpack take it off and don't put it on a seat put it on the floor exactly another etiquette thing that i read over august which came to mind because i've been doing quite a bit of meeting new clients and meeting new people august is normally that time for me was about women in handshakes okay handshakes are important getting the right handshake is a really good way to make a good first impression eye contact relatively firm not too hard not lingering too long on it that kind of thing all the stuff we've talked about in the past it can be a little bit tricky for guys to know how to or when to shake hands with women and I'd be interested, what's your views on that, Zach? If it's a, a workplace, mm-hmm. I will always shake hands first. Yes. Unless led otherwise by the lady. If the lady moves into kiss and greeting, generally it's a cultural thing more than anything else. Yes, indeed. Then I'll do that, but I won't lead it. I will always handshake first and I'll always, you know, give the personal space and all that sort of stuff. You don't grip like you're wishing to crush someone's middle fingers, especially when it's a lady or a, certain cultures don't like very firm handshakes. You adapt your handshake to the person, but I'll always give a handshake first up unless led by the lady opposite. Nine times out of ten, it's a handshake with any person. Yes. And then go from there. Unless I know them very, very well... 
I really won't hug people. They're good friends, I'll do that. But in a business situation, I'll shake hands first. Absolutely. And it was interesting, actually, this article I read, it was in Deadspin. Catherine Leclerc was the journalist who wrote it. She pointed out something which I hadn't considered, but probably is actually true, which was that she finds that her male colleagues will be much more likely to get a double grip handshake. So handshake plus shoulder or elbow. And I probably wouldn't do that to a woman. Or actually, well, to be honest, I probably wouldn't do that to anyone I didn't know well, unless it was a social setting. But what she does get, which is something I've been guilty on in the, in the, in the past, was that sort of hand on the small of the back and ushered out, which I could see how that could be a bit demeaning. I would only do that with someone I know. Yes. I wouldn't do that with a lady I didn't know. And even then, I met a friend who I haven't seen for a long time over the summer. I was sitting with her and... I said something and I touched the leg and I went, oh, I'm very sorry. And she said, no, why? And I said, well, I, I you know, I don't know you very well anymore <laughs> because we, I'd sort of gone back into that pattern of I'd known her very well and I hadn't seen her for 15 years. And then we get, and she said, no, don't apologise. You know, my head went, oh gosh, you know, I shouldn't have done that. It was not appropriate behaviour. It's interesting actually the way you described that because apologising quickly diffuses the awkwardness yeah and doing it in a gracious way that doesn't make a big fuss of things obviously the other person accepts that far better than feeling terrible and saying oh dear i shouldn't have done that inside your head but not doing anything about it I mean, it was a friend so it wasn't a business situation i would be very careful of, i mean always very careful male or female about my personal space and dealing with men and women in any business situation one of the key takeaways is one of the things that stuck out to me with this article is there's no reason to shake hands differently with someone necessarily because of their gender you just shake hands that's it don't make it weird no don't make it weird and some cultures don't even want shaking hands yes in india a firm handshake is unusual it's normally quite relaxed what would feel to us in a, in a sort of western european north american sense a, a limp handshake but there is quite the normal i did some work five or six years ago now with a lady who she was a manager at an outsourced it services company she was muslim and she didn't want to shake hands or she didn't touch what she did was press her hand to her chest and give a little bow she was very gracious and once I'd cottoned on to that it was it was fine I remember doing that with a number of Arabic ladies myself things I actually have a friend a, a good friend who doesn't like physical contact won't hug and I've known him for quite some time and it's always a handshake very old school British it's always a handshake it just doesn't like the hug physical contact thing that's become the norm these days but I have to say I'm not a big fan of the double grip I'll only do it if I know I have to play the dominance play because it's a dominant thing it's a psychological dominance thing but I tend not to do it unless I know I have to play that game. It was something I used to do a lot more of when I did security work. So when I had to be top dog. And also it used to quite often be something I would lead into to walking someone towards the door. But in a meeting, hopefully not going to have to sew anybody out. So I don't need to do that. <laughs> you never know. <laughs> it has happened once or twice, but not for a lot of years. <laughs> and if it's that sort of meeting, why am I holding it in the first place? Well, quite. But I think there's a bit of good bit in the article, which I totally agree with. It was a lot more personal space years ago. It's very true. We're much closer as people than we were 40 years ago. I think it's interesting. It speaks to a slightly wider argument about formality in the office or at work and and that sort of thing it's important not to go too far with that because you can easily recover from not going far enough with someone but it's very hard to come back from having gone too far it's a little bit like when in doubt go formal that applies to body language and and personal contact as much as it does to how, how you dress i totally agree if in doubt go one step more formal than you think you should indeed totally agree with that sir well i have something else to bring up so which is not etiquette related but speaks to something that i love about clothes and that is the OCBD, the Oxford Cloth Button-Down. Oh. For those not in the know, 
an OCB in an Oxford cloth button down is a traditional shirt design, actually traditionally American. It was developed by Brooks Brothers originally, I believe, and they called it the polo shirt because it was designed for playing polo. And it's one of those shirts where you have buttons on the collar that hold your lapel down. Oxford cloth is a type of relatively heavyweight cotton that has a little bit of a weave to it, or possibly a weft, I'm never sure. I think it's a weave, not a weft, but it has that little pattern to it. I love them. One of the things I like so much about them is the good OCBDs can give a very elegant, artful roll at the collar. If there's a little bit of length to the lapel and that the buttons are in the right place, it gives a very nice roll. And the collar does a great job of drawing the eyes towards the face, which is what I want my shirt collar and my tie and the V in the front of my jacket. That's all what it's designed to do, to draw the eyes to my face. And that just helps with that. But they can be a little bit tricky to find good ones. Much as trouser rises, the distance between your your crotch and your waistband have, have dropped over the years, mostly because they're cheaper to make. So have collars shrunk. Thankfully, J. Crew, the American old school menswear producer turned new school, very fashionable, very well made stuff, have brought out a new line of Oxford cloth button downs. And they're based on or modelled on some of their archive shirts from the sort of 50s and 60s. Smaller buttons, a box pleat at the back, which I also like, and a a longer and unlined collar, which lends itself to that role. I do like an Oxford cloth button down. I used to wear them all the time. I stopped wearing them when I started wearing a lot more three-piece suits. They're a little bit less formal. I don't wear them with my very formal suits, but I wear them a lot with sports coat and trousers or with a flannel or a tweed suit or something like that. Yeah, and especially good for that tweed suit look as well. They work very well with a nice knitted tie. and It is the perfect smart casual shirt. Yes, I think so. And you can dress it up with a, with a tie and a jacket or you can lose the tie and the jacket and it makes, you know, if, you're in it, if you've got a casual Friday type office. I find them useful when I'm travelling because I don't always know, especially with a new client or a new office, exactly what the nuances of the dress code are going to be. It can go one way or the other very easily. I've not bought any of the J Crew ones yet and they've got a I think two shops now in London but they do ship internationally but so I will pick some up actually where I tend to get mine and the ones that I really like are from a shop called uh, John Simons in London yes John Simons is nice it was quite a thing within that sort of trad menswear look that, that John Simons caters for but I think they're great but he makes his own or has his own made up and he does both sort of traditional shirts and popover shirts that I really like so a popover shirt made from shirt cotton rather than Pima cotton, like a polo shirt, but is cut so the, so the buttons only come down halfway on the front and often short-sleeved. And I think they're great casual shirts, either in sort of traditional long-sleeve heavyweight cotton or in a, a slightly lighter weight popover shirt. OCBDs are great, and I'm glad to see J. Crew doing more of them. The only issue I have with them, especially nowadays, is that they generally don't do French cuffs or double cuffs. No, they don't. And, and for me, a French cuff or a double cuff wouldn't really go with that collar. Maybe with a pinned collar, not with a buttoned one. One more thing on the style thing, which I thought was highly amusing. It was from uh, Esquire website. They listed the most deplorable men's style trends of 2017 so far. Some of them are very funny. And terrible. So I thought we'd just run through them and voice our opinion. They start with cargo trousers. I thought we'd got rid of these in the 90s. Yes, I have two pairs that I wear for walking. Yes, I have, I think, two or three pairs. I wear them for walking, when I go paintballing, and when I'm working in the garden. And, and certainly I think what Esquire suggests is that they're a backlash against the, the super skinny trousers. The backlash is good. This isn't the way to do it. Just get trousers that fit properly. You don't have to have ugly grip big 
pockets that make you look like you've got an extra set of knees on the side of your leg. They're fine if they're practical for the, the activity you're doing, but no cargo trousers and please no cargo shorts. Next on the list. Bucket hats. Oh, dear God. <laughs> yes. Um, again, this was something that I thought we'd got rid of in the 90s. You know, maybe it's time for 90s fashion to come back and there are some things in that I don't mind, but there are two people, as the article says, who are allowed to get away with bucket hats and that are small toddlers at the beach and Liam Gallagher. Nobody else. Or oh, trout fishermen. Trout fishermen, absolutely fine. Again, have your cargo trousers on and your bucket hat fishing for trout at the side of the river. Splendid. Go for it. Wearing them to a party or to go into town or for dinner. Just no. no there's no really other answers to this. There isn't. They don't look good on anyone. And the next one, coming back to the super skinny stuff, is now we're going for oversized everything. Yes. Uh, we did that oversized thing in sort of the late 80s, early 90s. And it ended up with some quite interesting menswear things that I actually quite liked. They look dated now, but the way that some of the... You got more drape cut jackets, things that accentuated the male physique, to sometimes to sort of slightly cartoonish levels. But I quite liked that. But what we're seeing now is more that done badly, where it's just you look like you're wearing your dad's clothes. <laughs> exactly. That's like the end of Big, the movie with Tom Hanks. That's exactly what it is, yes. <laughs> There's a reason that the rules of fit work they do. And if you understand them, you can break them, which is what I think you know. guys like like Armani were doing in the, in the 80s. But they understood the rules first, so they knew how to break them in fun and interesting and visually attractive ways. So the stuff that we're seeing now, it just looks terrible. Uh, next on the list. Kurt Cobain sunglasses. Do you know what I mean by, by those? The big white round things that look like you have bug eyes. Yes. If you're a rock star or a rapper, and I think, you know, maybe if you've got a gold record... That might be the time you're allowed those, but they just look silly. And this comes back to the other thing, which I will rant about probably another point. Um, sunglasses in the tube, in the dark rooms. Unless you are a rapper or very, very famous, no. We come back to the just now. Sunglasses are great. You get a good pair of sunglasses, they can look awesome. And they don't necessarily have to be really stayed. You can have some really fun and exciting pairs of sunglasses, but these things just look objectively ugly. Yes, completely. Next on the list, I have to say this is one of my favourite ones on this list because it is just quite bad. Dungarees. See, it's another one that it's for, for fishermen and toddlers only. <laughs> yeah, fishermen, toddlers, and as they say in the article, rural Kansas petrol station workers. Yes, well, I mean, dungarees are very practical items of clothing, but no. Exactly. It's like we want to be. It's really trendy to pretend to be a Midwest American farm worker and cattle rancher. We'll give you a pass on the dungarees if you also have the Mario hat and the Mario moustache and you do a lot of jumping up and down. But apart from that, no, they, they just, they're not flattering. No, they're awful. You can sort of go, Kurt Cobain, hug sunglasses, ugly. Yeah, but if you're a rock star, you can get away with them. Dungarees, you just don't get away with them. They're just horrible looking things. The next one on the list is another pet peeve of mine, which are Crocs. Ah, my fingers are in my ears. No. <laughs> Crocs are well designed for what they are. You know, they're plastic shoes designed to be easily washed. Now, I know a lot of nurses wear them. I know people who work in food production wear them, where your footwear is an item of safety. And having something that's easily cleaned and non-slip is important. That's it, really. I think we've made the joke before, you know, those little holes are where your dignity leaks out. <laughs> They're just evil. They, they even do them with things like fur trims now. They are just wrong. And they make your feet look ugly. Crocs do not make anyone's 
not even David Gandhi's feet look good. If you want nice, open, breathable shoes, wear some sandals, wear some loafers, wear some drivers. They look good. They look great. Wear some espadrilles. Not these, please. Add to the list of just no. And, um... Super skinny jeans. I don't understand them. Me neither. I'm working at the moment. There's a couple of guys who wear these sort of male jeggings. Oh, gosh. They're quite well-muscled chaps. They clearly work out, but they just look... They look a bit like you're wearing tights. Nobody looks good just in tights. No. Tights are perfectly fine under a skirt, and if you want to wear tights in a skirt, gentlemen, be my guest, knock yourself out. Jeggings, really super tight jeans. No. Tights in a codpiece, you could get the Elizabethan look. Yeah, go for it. That could work, yes, if that's what you want to do. The other problem, we'll come back to the fit and style rules that we all say about if you know them, you can break them. The problem is with super skinny jeans or jeggings or those sort of things, is what happens is your legs go down and then you have your shoes. Just really makes your shoes look ten times bigger than they are. Makes everything look disproportionate on your body. Bruce Boyer talks about this with what he calls the ankle shoe interface or the hosiery gap. And he he waxes lyrical about this and it's all a bit tongue-in-cheek. But that line of where your trousers meet your shoes is important. It really keeps the proportion and stops your legs looking ungainly or really short or stumpy. And and yet, when you miss those out, it looks unappealing and it does nothing to accentuate. Even if you've got a great figure, if you dress appropriately for it, you look even better. Uh, And then last on the list, they refer to as ugly trainers. For me, as we well know, trainers generally are ugly, so I'm not a big fan of them full stop and end of story but i have to say they're not particularly good looking trainers why are you wearing them at all i have trainers for the gym which are designed to be most efficient for the gym and they they're relatively plain i don't go for garish colors you can do that if, if, if that works for you but that's fine they're for the gym or for when i'm running and i have quite sleek low profile and i think i've talked about these before german army trainer style trainers that I sometimes wear when I'm going out. But these sort of huge, over-engineered... I've heard them referred to sometimes as dad trainers. (laughs) That's a bit unfair, because my dad wouldn't wear them. (laughs) It's disparaging to your dad's style. Absolutely. You know, my dad's not the most stylish man, but he dresses okay, And he wouldn't wear these. You know, he's got more self-respect than that. So there's no need for anyone else to, please. So there's Esquire's worst trends of 2017 so far. And I have to say, I think we concur with pretty much all of them. Absolutely. I think 100% they've nailed that. I don't know if I agree with them. They they say that the the sort of the ripped, super skinny jeans are the, the worst style trend. I don't think I can't pick a worst. Dungarees, probably, in my book. For me, it's probably the oversized thing. I just loathe that with a passion. So, yes, we'll probably have a few more by the end of the year, I'm sure. Now we're back on the podcast run. We're going to do a few more different podcasts. We'll probably have some guests over the next few months. We're going to do a bit more reviews over the next few months, reviews of products and books and services and and all sorts of things gentlemanly over the next few months, you and I, James. But, uh, James, I hear through the, the little birdie has been telling you. <laughs> yes. You are doing something at the end of October. Please tell us more about what you're doing. I'm having a midlife crisis. I'm fighting in a charity mixed martial arts event. Very well done, sir. Thank you. I'm quite nervous about it. I'm 40. This is probably one of my last chances to do something like this. It's an aid of Cancer Research UK. I don't know yet who I'll be fighting, but it'll be at a local sports arena up here near Durham. So I'm going to be intensively training for the next two months. And then end of October, I'll be getting in a cage with some other chap and we'll attempt to submit or knock each other out. This is the Durham equivalent of the uh, Mayweather uh, McGregor (laughs) bout. (laughs) 
Um, it's amateur MMA rules, so it's much like you'd see in the UFC, although there's no striking to the head on the ground, there are no elbows, and there are no leg locks. So we can't do things like heel hooks because they're difficult to do without permanently injuring someone. But other than that, everything goes. Punches, kicks, strikes to the head, standing, strikes to the body standing, on the ground, throws, arm locks, chokes... All of that, it's all in there. So the guys at the gym will match me with someone who's equivalent in sort of skill, size, age, ability, those sorts of things. And we're trying to raise some money for Cancer Research UK, who I think are a great charity. Excellent. Uh, Is there a link, sir? It's on justgiving.com, and you can either search on there or you can go straight to it, justgiving.com slash fundraising slash James Dash Marwood. Excellent. Well, we'll put the link on the Facebook page and all the other pages as well, which we'll share it on the socials the perfect gentleman that's great i think one of the things why i'm really pleased it's cancer research uk is because you know cancer affects a lot of people i know my dad wouldn't be here without cancer research uk's work and also friend of the show sean pierce who's written some things for us in the past it keeps her going as well so there are lots of charities out there lots of things deserving of your money but cancer research uk i'm a big fan of so that's it that, that's what i'm doing this for oh, excellent oh I, I you know and in memory of uh uh, uh, the late great Nick Wing, one of the, the, the founder of the Perfect Gentleman, who passed away of cancer last year. I think it's a it's an honourable thing to do, sir. And more power to your fists, feet, knees, and arm locks. I'm not used to training this hard. I've done six sessions this week, and I'll be doing six next week, and then upping it to nine, and then twelve in the lead in. So I'm a little bit achy. But so far, the only injury I've picked up is a a very slightly sprained finger. So I'm doing okay so far. We're going to have to have regular training updates. (laughs) Yes, I'll tell you how my training camp is going. I'm sure you do fantastically well. Thank you very much, my friend. Well, that's it for another week of the Perfect Gentleman podcast. We're back next week with episode 60. My God, 60 episodes, James. 60 episodes. It doesn't seem like they'll be doing them that long. No, it doesn't, but we seem to. It's over a year, and especially with our couple of breaks, we've, we've been we've trucking along for over a year now. Wow. Well, it's glad to have you back. Thank you, Angie, my friend. Good to be back. I'll see you next week. Thank you very much for your time. We will speak to you next time. Indeed. Take care, my friend. This podcast is brought to you by the Perfect Gentleman Group Limited and was edited by Andy Nichol at the Pistachio Palace.